818. Oh, no, I listened. There was I like listened. sprinkles in it. No, like you know sparkles. what it was? It was Axe body spray. Yeah, that's basically like it was like vanilla Axe. It, it was that's it was vanilla Axe. <laughs> it wasn't good and it's not cheap. It's like a it's like a 70 dollar bottle. I think. Yeah. Just listening to it made me sick. Yeah. The funniest part <laughs> is that the name of the tequila is 818 there are like it's so unique. Calabasas and I was just in Calabasas for the first time like visiting my brother. And, you know, it's all like giant houses, gated community. <clears throat> Just the idea of a tequila being named for this place yeah. is Ill- hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Like once I've seen it, you know. You know what Calabasas means? No. Squash. That's what the name, oh, that's, that's what the word means? Yeah. It's Yiddish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, is that Hebrew? There's a cream for that. What? Guys. I'm fine. Okay. Are these my headphones? Yes. Okay. Jo- join us. Squash Thank tequila. You. Oh, sorry. Okay. Thank you. I googled libation, Caleb, and Investopedia came up. <laughs> no, dude. <laughs> I wrote that term before I got here on the train. Jenny, do you remember you and I on the other side of Bryant Park? Mm-hmm. We did NPR together for Robin Farzad. Yeah. Do you remember, remember that? that? Yep. When the hell was that? I don't know. That's, that's when I first 15, met you. 16? And the I love Robin. Was... I love Robin, too. You know, you know Ro- Oh, you know Robin. I, I just that's saw him right. in Richmond just last year. Uh, we were driving down south, and he's down there with his family doing his yeah. his full disclosure pod. He's such a good dude. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. Uh, his Miami book came. It's Hotel Scarface. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's how I met you for the first time. Because Robin's like, I want to do this thing for the podcast about like Wall Street. Right. Why won't they apologize? Why won't Wall Street apologize? Yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, that. my f- and and my friend Jenny's going to be the other person on the podcast. I'm like, all right, let's do it. So that was fun though. That was awesome. I think you and I spoke uninterrupted for two hours. I don't I mean, know. If, I don't know if you used it all. You did. Yeah, I definitely did. <laughs> I definitely did. <laughs> and he did use it all, and it was good. We've got the close in four minutes. Dylan, cover Tesla short. <laughs> <laughs> Dylan, Dylan's in Michigan right now. Well, he heard me. Good luck. Never let this market close. Not good, today. Good luck. Uh, Jenny, you covered all your shorts before you came over here. You don't want to leave any loose ends. No, you know I'm such a cowboy during the days. So just normally. swinging, swinging around short mm-hmm. positions. That's right, laying on the der- derivatives. Um, where's your office? How close to your house is it? Five minutes, New Canaan, Connecticut. Look at you. Nice. I know, but I that's live the, in Norwalk. That's the dream, though. It is the dream. Kids' school is five minutes away. It's fantastic. Good for you. And you work. I didn't know that you worked with your husband. Mm-hmm. You guys, do you guys like to any? Workplace disagreements carry over into the home later that night, 100%. or yeah. Oh yeah. How I was going to ask you how <laughs> does raucous. how does anybody win an argument with you? It's impossible, right? Oh, you don't know my husband. Okay. Like All right, I fair. okay, he's going to listen to that and be like, "That's bullshit." But the reality is, is that dude should have been a trial lawyer because he can out argue anyone. And I just you know like I don't have the vocabulary he does. The only reason I have a good vocabulary. Yeah, but you're is like you're scrappy him. though. You're tenacious. I don't I don't feel like yeah. you. I don't feel like you like say okay you 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 got this one. No, but I give up a lot because like he's smarter okay. than me. Oh, I shouldn't. Have said I feel like that giving there. up is smart. It's like all right, whatever. Yeah, yeah, but so like no really, like him. he's got those trial trial lawyer skills. You know, he can just go and go, and I'll say to him every day like, oh, what'd you read today? He's like nothing. What'd you hear today that was interesting? Nothing. And then when we're arguing, there's this like insane wealth of knowledge <laughs> that just pours out the statistics that oh, sound he, like he, hu- he hustles you. Yeah. yeah. And then he has all these statistics that I'm like, oh, you just made that up. And he's like, yeah, go check it out. I go check it out. It's exactly right all the time. So after 20 years of being together. So you know better. Yeah. I just kind of give up. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. He's usually right. Who works harder, you or him? Me. Okay. What does he do? He runs the operational and compliance side. Yeah. Jenny's got a, Jenny's like uh Literally investing all day. Literally. 
there's so many solo practitioners in, I don't want to say wealth manager, I'll say asset management. How do you do both things? Like, you really can't. You've, I feel like you need help. Well, I've got eight employees. Oh, you you do. I'm yeah. saying, I'm t- talking about people oh, that work by solo, themselves. solo, solo. You can't. I, it's unimaginable to me. Yeah. Because how are you listening to a conference call for a stock you own and waiting on hold with an IT person because whatever just happened here, right? Right. And also dealing with your client who needs $20,000 sent to them tomorrow and the other one who wants to know why you still hold AT&T in the portfolio. Right. You you literally can't do yeah. a good job of it. Unless... Well, if you have 11 clients, you can. That's what I was yeah. going to say. But they yeah. want to talk to you. You're the right. boss. You're the one making the decisions. It's not like you can be like, talk to my assistant. You can help <laughs> you with that. And, right. and I feel like, you're, like everything with you is very personality driven. So mm-hmm. like it's going to be hard for you to put somebody else in front of those important conversations. I think that's right. Right. So it's good that you, so you, you have eight people. Yep. That's great. How yep. long have you, how long have uh, you been doing this? Well, I went, I left Newberger Berman in 2006 and came oh, to so Gilman Hill. Time. Yeah. And then I bought my partners out in 2009. So, okay. um, so it's been Ooh, nice. Good timing. <laughs> I know. Right. Um, tough times. You bought them out at the bottom. Um, Ish. Kind of. Okay. <laughs> they just gave it to you. Yeah, take, like, leave the keys. Yeah, exactly. All right, good for you. There wasn't much to buy out. Good for you. Well, we're, we're definitely going to get into your portfolio later today. Okay. And uh, I'm actually looking forward to that because you and I get like two minutes on the show to go back and forth-ish. Right. Ish. right. So, There's no nuance behind what either I don't, one well, I don't, I don't. I don't really know much about like your process. Mm-hmm. Right? So I know more about your brother's ice cream than your portfolio. <laughs> uh, Big John, how are we looking? Great. Duncan, how are you feeling? You nervous? No, I'm, I'm good. You feeling good? good? Feeling All good. Right. All right. Welcome to The Compound and Friends. All opinions expressed by me, Michael Batnick, and our castmates are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Today's show is brought to you by the good folks at Rocket Dollar. Listen, if you have a friend who is starting a level one protocol and you're trying to get tokens at 0.005 cents that are going to be worth $100 in two weeks, that's a 5,000% return, I'm guessing. Then the way to do it is in Rocket Dollar. You can bring your own deal. Rocket Dollar is the place to go to invest in non-traditional asset classes. To learn more, go to rocketdollar.com slash compound. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to literally the best financial podcast that is in existence, I would say. Jenny, you listened to it once. What'd you think? Loved it. You can't, when you hold your fingers up, the audience doesn't see that you. Twice. I listened to it twice. You listened to it two times. Mm-hmm. All right. Round of applause for that. What'd you think? What'd you think of what you heard so far? On the podcast? Yeah. Or today? No, just in general. <laughs> On the podcast? I think it's really cool. And I think it's, I thought listening to it, particularly given how long it was, that I would tune out. And I was really surprised by how engaged I stayed throughout okay. the entire thing. And I like the way you kind of weave in like real life, some investment, but it all weaves together really nicely. Yeah. Is Michael, so. is Michael pretty good on it too? Michael's amazing. All right. I agree. Yeah. I agree. And Caleb, you're day one, I'm hoping. I'm- I, I listened to the Leiden episode over and over on loop just to get psyched up for this. You know Tom? Yes. Is he not, is he not like the sweetest 
Greatest. He's the sweetest, coolest. He's the Steve McQueen of the finance industry. Just cool as a fan and you couldn't be did, sweeter. You just dated yourself big time. Yes. Tom's yeah. the best. And Tom. Well, Tom is like probably going to buy you someday. So he just keeps acquiring properties. I know. I so, know. all right. Uh, well, listen, I'm very excited to have you guys here. When you showed up, I said that you're two of my favorite people that I've met since I've been in this business. Um, I like f- seriously mean it. And I don't say that every week. That's not what you said before we started. No, no, no. <laughs> truthfully, truthfully. Uh, so Jenny, let's give you a big introduction. Uh, you are the founder of Gilman Hill, CIO, right? That's your title. Okay. Well, CEO. CEO, but you're, to be fair, I didn't actually found it. I did buy my partners out in 2009. So I Okay. Lost. Well, yeah. you're remaking and it in your image. That's, that's good right. enough, right? <laughs> that's right. Okay. So congratulations on that. And, a lot of people know you from the halftime report. Mm-hmm. And how, how many how many times are you popping on? Like almost once a week now. Oh wow, look so, at you. Yeah, look at me big, big time. time. Uh, I think are you taking some of my spots? I don't think so. Okay. I don't think anyone would do that. Look out. <laughs> uh and Caleb Silver. And Caleb, you and I know each other, what, twelve years? At least, yeah. Right? So I used to come to CNN Money with Paul uh Paul Paula Monica. That's right. And Lindsay was in the mix and yep. Phil Perlman. That's and right. You were, I think, the first person to ever put me on TV. I know, and I'm, I apologize for that to everybody else, but I think it worked out really well for you. But you were an instant star on TV. Uh, uh, look at this. TV. Look at this. I, know. I mean, thank instant. you. Thank you. Because you are who you are. You're organic, and that's what you brought, and that's what we were looking for. And we taped some stuff with Paula Monica and Poppy Harlow and a few other people. Poppy. Wasn't, weren't those the good old days of, like, uh, financial media when you could still have a lot of fun and stop, like people had no expectations for ever making money again in stocks. It was like 2010. Yep. Like yep. the bottom completely fell out of investor sentiment. But then there was this new crop of stocks that started to work, like Netflix and That's Lululemon. Right. Oh, like my portfolio? Well, this is like, <laughs> these are, I just feel like it was a time when like people were like, yeah, LOL, the stock market, nobody cares. Mm-hmm. But then they started to go up again. And I guess we, we had a lot of fun. We did a bunch of stuff for the web. And uh, and now you have a really big job at a really awesome site that all of our viewers have probably landed on in the last week, like at a minimum. Um, so tell us about what you're doing at Investopedia. I am the editor-in-chief. So I am the, the head editor at Investopedia. Um, we are 23 years old. Investopedia is like an internet dinosaur. That's 230 years in internet years. Wow. Who started it? Uh, four guys in Canada, in Edmonton, uh, they had this idea because they had heard about this company called Google that was trying to index the internet down in Mountain View. And they knew a lot of people were looking at, this is 1988, 1999, internet stocks were popping. CNBC was just coming on FNN, Bloomberg TV, where I started my career. And they said, you know what? I think a lot of people are looking up these obscure terms that these folks are saying on TV. Nobody knows what PE ratio is or or what margins are. So why don't we create a dictionary of financial terms? And furthermore, why don't we create test prep for all the series tests you have to take if you want to get into the securities industry? And maybe Google will point to it as they index the internet. And that turned out to be a pretty hot idea. Yeah. So so you are the EIC and business is booming. Traffic is booming. Uh, Over the last year, you've had a bumper crop of new investors that like, where else do you turn to to learn these terms? I, TikTok, I actually TikTok. can't. TikTok. TikTok. All right. So other than TikTok, I can't think of anywhere else. So probably millions of people landed on your site for the first time. Caleb, do, you have, do you have a, a look through into the demographics of people that are hitting your site? Absolutely. Uh, not just what they're hitting our site, but which 
particular articles they're looking at, uh, where they are in the country or where they are in the world, male or female, zip code. We can get pretty deep without getting too creepy um, because we get a lot of our traffic through Google. But when we have a year like the one we've had or a year and a half like the one we've had, the traffic is just coming in from all sides. Nobody comes in the front door of Investopedia and goes to the homepage and says, what do you guys got going on here today? I actually I actually come in through the back door. I visited Investopedia <laughs> on incog- incognito mode because I'm like embarrassed to be looking this up guy, stuff. Why? You think he's tracking you? I'm only kidding. Okay. But I'm oh, not kidding. Right. I actually do. No shame. No shame in looking anything up. Look, there's 36,000 terms on the site. There's probably 50,000 finance terms out there. Can't know, a, them all. can't know them can't all. Know them all. And I'm, I'm the editor. I don't know them all. I look them up all the time. So don't feel bad about that. But we know a lot of people do that thing in the meeting where they drop their phone to tie their shoe and look right. up a term and come back up and, and they look like the smartest person in the room. But look, here we are here to educate people about investing. We are not, we do news, but we do it in an educational framework. We don't try to beat anybody to the earning stories. It's all about knowing the basics and knowing financial literacy, investing literacy, so people can make a career out of it. You guys know this is a, a marathon, right? Yes. So many Absolutely. people think investing and trading is the sprint. I, I feel like I've been through a marathon. Right, so. right. Well, let, me, let me just, to that point, I was just looking at Chipotle because I was thinking about like stocks in 09 that were hot. What did you mention? Netflix and Chipotle Lulu. was one of them. And I, was thinking, I feel like Chipotle was one of them. So back in 2009, speaking of a marathon, Chipotle was worth like $2, 3000000000 billion. And you're like, for a taco joint? Like that's a lot of money. Um, and it was a lot of money. It is a lot of money. But today, Chipotle just closed on an all-time high, $55 billion. And people were saying when it was two, three billion, it's just burritos. I don't get it. It's a bunch of they're beans. Saying this, they're saying the same thing. And at twenty billion. But what's the annualized growth rate on that? Um, from well, Insane I can't do that in my math in my head, but yeah, so, just so, it. No, no, no. She's saying the annualized the compound growth rate. I don't know. I'm going to say I'm going to say thirty seven percent. I'm guessing. Wait, the co- the compound growth rate yeah, for Chipotle. Does anyone have a quick Kager give me, calculator? Give me my HP twelve. Do this right here. <laughs> Why are you not on Investopedia? That has that all. Got I was that for to you. Send all right, them I'll, there. I'll do this. Talk talk amongst yourselves. I've well, got, I've got Excel. Okay. Well, so I guess the the thing that's most interesting this week to start with is that we had like a little mini panic on Monday, and I wanted to get you guys take on it because that was a fun crisis. It was but fun. it did. Well, it wasn't lasted. long enough for me to like fully, really like panic. Like, I feel like I got gypped a little bit. Like, I, I didn't get a chance to start running through my mind everything that's going to get triggered and go wrong. Is, the, is, the, is that the new correction? Four hours, and then we all just get past it? Uh, I don't know. But Michael mentioned that Monday was the first down 2% day since May. Hang on, time out, just real quick. So uh, 54 from three over a 12-year period is 27% annualized. That's amazing, isn't it? That's insane. Pretty good. And, for a bunch of beans. And Chipo- the market. And, Chipo- and Chipotle survived the Evergrande crisis. Barely, barely. So, uh, anyway, the first big down day. Um, so it's following one of the longest streaks for the S&P, uh, being within 5% of its all-time highs over the last 70 years. I think it's the eighth longest streak. So people have gotten very spoiled. Let's start. Let's start with that. And they almost expect all of these crises to wind up very quickly. And so far, that's working out. I don't know. What are you, like? What are you hearing when when clients call in in the wake of something like Monday? So I had a client email me first thing Monday, or sorry, last thing Monday, saying, "I'm assuming that you're getting ready to write us all a note about what's going on." Well, will you do that. Right. I get and your I, notes. Right, but I wrote back, "Ha ha ha! This is nothing. <laughs> like, are you joking?" Right. We were down. What was it? Like one and a half percent on a year that you don't even get out of bed for one and a half percent, let alone fire up the word processor. No, But I think it's interesting that these clients suddenly think a down one and a half percent move is something severe, particularly in the wake of this year. I was stunned that they haven't been become more accustomed in my mind to 
these, this, I've been thinking of it as a binge and purge market, right? right. Like we binge, we purge for like 15 minutes, we rally back up. Yeah. Um, it's pretty wild. So, uh, then, so you fired that client and then what? <laughs> right. No, but I think then it's funny because you have like, I would say she's representative of a lot. And then it's silence because the next morning we're flat. The next day we're back up. You know, everybody who panicked on Monday for their 15 minutes is embarrassed. They don't want to tell me that they actually panicked. So I actually see it as people are really quiet. I don't get a lot of calls on the, you know, I don't get a lot. I think, I think people the, are worrying. I, I think the reason why this one might have resonated with normal people that don't follow the markets on a daily basis is China. because it was headline news. And I was watching uh, Good Morning America, as I do every morning. Um, it's my wife's favorite show in the morning. Um, and, and so Michael Strahan was talking to the reporter about the China headlines. And literally, I, I had to, I rewound it because I was just curious. From the time Michael meant like started talking to the end of the segment was one minute and two seconds. Mm -hmm. The reporter didn't even come on until 30 seconds in. So it was so fast, but it was USA Today news. It was Good Morning America news. And it was the Lehman Brothers redux news. So John, throw up this chart. This is from Danny Berger. We're not, a we're not able to. Oh, really? Okay. We're doing this on the laptop. Right, no, I'll show you guys. So this is from Danny Berger at Bloomberg, the story count with Lehman. How hilarious is that? And so I think a lot of people inside the financial industry. Wait, this is 2020. Wait, where's? Yeah. Okay. So you see the spike all the mm -hmm. way on the left hand side. Um, uh, Deutsche Bank did a survey, surveyed its clients, and I think eight percent of financial professionals said like, "This is much ado about nothing." So I think most people, most people in the industry were like, "Guys, really? Like this is like is this a deal? Yeah. Is it Lehman? Probably not." But I think that because it was China, it was it was it was news news. And I think people are waiting for something. Yeah. When was it? It was middle of July, right around July 20th that we had that last kind of big pullback. What was that? I can't, was that inflation fears? I can't even remember. Yeah. Right? But I think everyone's desperate for a pullback. I want one. You want one. It was one. Delta. I'm begging. Ju July was, was Delta. Oh, you're July right. Was Delta. Oh, May, That's exactly May, right. I think May was inflation. That was mm -hmm. the, growth, the growth pullback. I'm dying for a pullback. It's so uh, it's so boring. There's nothing to talk about. But, yeah, and you know what's funny? I put up on Twitter that night in um, in July. I put up, here's the real reason. Like, you can listen to all these people try and say it's Evergrande or it's tapering, you know, or it's the debt right. ceiling might be worse than we think. But the reality is we're due. Yes. You know, we're just due. Yeah. That's just it. It's hard for people to swallow that. And is it Evergrande or is it... Evergrande, and I'm going with Grande, like Ariana Grande and the Rio Grande. But to your point, uh, one of the top spiking articles- It's actually pronounced Lehman. I thought it was Evervente. How do you say Lehman? Do you say Lehman? No, Lehman. I say Lehman. No, Benz is Lehman. It makes so no sense. Who does that? Ben, ben does that. Ben, ben. Yeah. That's like an old New York man yeah, thing to do. Lehman Brothers. You can't break him out of that? He, after we, he's like, is it Lehman? I'm like, no. no. Who says no, Lehman? it never yeah. was. Well, yeah. how did Lehman Brothers collapse was the top spiking article on Investopedia. Because they kept hearing the word over and over and over again. And people who had never even heard of it are looking it up now and then asking me and us, is this the same thing and obviously it's not but that's what people but do so, so I, I wrote a quick article on whatever day it was mm -hmm. like this it was nothing like the market at the, at the at the worst on the day was down 2.3 percent or something like that it was like th this is a panic are you kidding me we're still we're still four percent off the highs it was nothing but that's that minsky moment thing where people just forget that these things can go down right and then the suddenness of it and by the way anything that starts with the future sunday night 
is more ominous True. than something that takes place on a Wednesday. That's a good point. And by the way, the right? stocks, stocks are not up for the week. We took it all back. I know. It's, it's, stocks are up for the week. That stock might even be back uh, almost all the way back from where it fell. Ever, so, Evergrande itself. Hold on. But that's not, that, I don't think it is. It, it, I mean, it's down rallied like, like 25% today. Yeah, so. it's down 90% from its highs. It needs to rally like 9,000%. Okay, it's got, it's got room to run. <laughs> let's just put, it, let's just put it that way. what you're saying is there's still room if you want to buy it. Exactly. Room. And you know what? That week in July, same thing, closed up on the week. Right. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Right. What are you, what are you serving up to? What, so when all these people are are searching, how did Lehman Brothers collapse? What are you serving up to that audience? What do they see? Burrito bowls. Burrito bowls, obviously, because you have You're giving to have them some like of those. dick fold stuff, like <laughs> like deep deep stuff, or just like debt. They had a lot of debt. They had a lot of debt. But what we do instead, we we write a new story about Evergrande, and um, but then we go into the stories that people are already looking up, like how did Lehman Brothers collapse, and then we make sure that we update it. And maybe even put mm. a call out there about Evergrande um, so that people realize that there's context there because they're not looking up how did Lehman Brothers collapse randomly on a, a Monday or Tuesday in September. That's because they're hearing it in the financial media. It's bleeding over to GMA. Michael Strahan, great defense events, talking about it. So you know it's it's into if the— Strahan's involved, then you it's, definitely want to— It's, it's so, mainstream. So, somebody, somebody sent me an email uh, accusing Ben of poo-pooing. Uh, the story as he was very blase about it. And I think it, so it's usually the right take, right? Usually like not panicking is like 99% of the time the right strategy, but you could also not panic and also acknowledge that this is a big deal. Like we could do both of those things. So BlackRock, for example, owns $381 million worth of Evergrande's debt. And who owns that? Investors, right? BlackRock is not a hedge, that it's not their hedge fund. It's it's investors. Uh, UBS has $275 million worth of debt. Like, but there's, pause there's, for a sec. Go ahead. Because put that into context, oh, it's, it's, right? It's, it's a blip, yeah. It's a tiny, yeah, yeah for yeah. BlackRock, yeah. how much do they have under management? Like 20 trillion? trillion? 20, right. Yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. no, it's, so it's, yeah. it sounds like a big number superficially. No, the problem is they own it in their treasury ETF. That, that's, <laughs> right. that's the issue. <laughs> it turns but, out. I mean, some people are clearly blowing up over this, like mm-hmm. obviously. Yeah, well, to wit, uh, another big search on Did that day. Did you say to wit? To wit. I've been using that a lot lately. I like He's that. very fun. Very, very, cla- very classy. Feel free to borrow it. How to sell puts, people were looking up that day as well. So people have their uh, ready- How to sell puts, that, which is a bullish trade. Yeah, you've right. got an advantage when you see that stuff spiking. Yeah, we know exactly what people are thinking. Oh, like how to sell puts? They, how to sell puts. Oh, uh, sophisticated uh, audience. Right. They, they were right. buying the They might have been confused. Uh, there's another question. How? What's the maximum I can lose on a covered call? Uh, so people were all over the place thinking about what does this mean? How can I trade it? How can I, you know, I know right. this is going to bounce back. We know the, the dip buyers are out there, but people are so quick now with the information and the action. And I think I've heard you guys talk about it on here and on Animal Spirits. Everything is so compressed. It's yeah. happening so right. damn quickly yes. yeah. that there is no time to actually see the market, you know, correct a little bit. People want to jump right back in or jump right back out. There are so many reasons to sell. I know you have that fantastic chart I quote all the time. Reasons to sell all over the place, but now everyone's looking for a reason to sell and then a reason to buy really quickly or no reason at all just because they don't want to miss out. I heard heard Savita from Bank of America, uh, Merrill Lynch, if it's still called that, say that we're switching, we're we're making a transition possibly from mid-cycle to late cycle. I'm like, already? Like, I just bought stuff, like, like six months ago, thinking, wow, this is as bad as it gets. We're already at the end of that cycle. But I, I guess if everything is compressed into shorter and shorter time frames, what is a cycle even? Could a cycle be two quarters at this point? Like, I don't, I don't even know. I mean, if you take last year, it was. We had the full thing in one year. Right. Compressed into Not even a whole nine year. months. Right. There's, there's another chart. So Colin tweeted this today. It's household and profit net worth change year over year. 
And obviously that's a lot of, that's absurd. Obviously a lot of this is concentrated in the hands of like the, the Uber Uber wealthy, but still people are still flush with cash and clearly eager to buy the dip. Yep. Uh, $5 trillion household net worth increased year over year. Just because of the stock market, people's investments in their homes, et cetera. That's not supposed to happen within six months of a recession starting. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, Can we talk about the time frame compression for no. a sec? Please, okay. yes. Really? You yes. don't mind if we do? This is like my favorite no, please. subject. Please. Okay, thanks. What's so, your take? Here's what I think. When I started in this business in 1994 as an intern, think about how long it took for us to get information, right? So I was interning up at the Seagram building. And the portfolio managers, I worked for Keefe managers, and they'd need a research report on, say, Citigroup. And they'd call their sales guy. Sales guy would call the research guy. Then they'd send the idiot intern who thought there was a Fourth Avenue in New York City to go get it. You know, she walks back and forth looking for Fourth Avenue. Is that you? Yeah. I no. was like way too embarrassed to ask Wait, you're for walking somewhere for a research report? I'm yeah. dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh I had to God. walk to pick it up. And it was either send a runner or send the intern, right? And, and by the time I got there, who knows how old the research report was, but they'd called they called Smith Barney and they called DLJ and they called Lehman Lame, Lame Brothers. <laughs> you know, they called everyone. And, um, and then they'd get a few research reports back. They'd read it, blah, blah, blah. Then they'd call the company. They'd ask for annual reports. They'd put all that data into Lotus. I think that's what it was, right? Okay. Now, think about the way we have access to that information. I've got my Refinitiv, which is Thompson. People have Bloomberg, right? You've got Every bit of data you want at yeah. your fingertips. You can you you can process information like we were able to you process. You speak into a phone and have it called up on your screen. Yeah. That's crazy. We can have 100% of the information that we need to make investment decisions in, I don't know, one hundredth the time. Yeah, so why wouldn't things speed up? So they should speed up. Right. Right? And just digesting what was going on with the crisis last year and getting our arms around it was infinitely faster than it could have been even when I started yeah. in the business. And so I think that's why we're trying seeing... to picture you running up and down oh my uh, Madison Avenue, probably thinking it's the most important document in the world and Truly. you've got to get it back up to the 35th yeah, floor. Yeah, what was right. the trade? So can make Did the trade, trade get placed? Um, I, to be honest, Short I don't fund. remember. Did you save the fund? <laughs> I saved the fund <laughs> in my nine West loafers and my Goodwill, um, what was it, like Adrian Vitadini suit. Yeah, it was awesome. So, so, so now that retail <laughs> retail is like was twenty as high as 25% of the daily volume, and think about how fast they're reacting to information, whether it's not TikTok, but some of it is TikTok and message boards and Reddit and stock twits, whatever. Like they're a big player on the market now. Without a doubt, there are a million, I would say there are a million people who, when Davy Day Trader says he's buying Apple calls or whatever, I don't whatever it is, I think there's a million people that do the same trade. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like look at what happens more to us. than uh, that are doing crazy. Yeah, when you trades. guys talk about stocks on TV, right? I mean, to me, it blows my mind when we do our final trades or the ask halftime questions. Like, it blows my mind that that I can say, "Hey, this is what I bought for my portfolio," and it actually moves. Like, because I think I think like not a how thing. does that happen? Algos are scraping that. Yeah, like, they're so literally they're transcribing they're transcribing what you're saying on CNBC and Bloomberg, what everyone's saying, and it it. It moves. But you know what? If you read the Twitter feeds, people, like individuals are taking That's the him. same stuff too. Totally, totally. Right. And so you get that little tipping point. Totally. It's not just robots. And you robots, get the momentum. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's pretty wild. Yeah. I mean, it's also expanded outside of FinTwit, obviously, to retail traders. 20 mm -hmm. million people joined the stock market last year. But think of all the other places where you're getting that information. I know you know the EYL guys. Um, love the those, market love Mondays. those guys. Those guys are great. Uh, the Trapper. There is stock information coming out and and. Play, you know, people with ideas that come are coming out of places that we don't come from. That is having a big influence on the market right That's now. That's such. That is such a key point. Like I, because I, I know advisors that walk around, financial advisors that do content, and they call themselves influencers. And then, like, they tweet a link to something, and there's like two likes, no retweets. Right. You are not an influencer. 
the Earn Your Leisure guys last night did a live stream on YouTube with uh, Ian Dunlop, and uh, they had another guest on, and there were like, I don't know, 5,000 people watching that live, and these are active market participants. It was at night, so they weren't trading stocks, but like, it wouldn't shock me at all if the next morning, a thousand of them took action on some of the things that were being discussed. That's the new influence, and, and it's of, not coming from anyone on the street. Right, and think about even that part of the time frame compression. Think about 20 years ago, they would have had to call their bro- – they would have had to figure out what their oh, account yeah. was, call their figure guy, out how yeah. much cash, call yeah. the broker. The broker had to put the trade yep. in. Now they can put that trade in overnight. And take it off ex- just as fast. Right, execute instantly. It's a, good, it's a good point. And then the speed that information travels, like obviously. I remember listening to David Tepper talk about why his fund is named Appaloosa. At the beginning of his career, uh, or at the beginning of when he started the fund, all the research would come to the uh, buy side shops via fax, and it would be in alphabetical order. So they went in the yellow, they went in the dictionary or something, and they found Appaloosa, and it's like a beautiful horse. So they would be the first fax of the morning for all the research from every brokerage firm. So interesting. That is what the world was like not that long ago, no, within when, our lifetime. When I started at Goldman Sachs, I was the dummy on the end sending the faxes out in the morning. <laughs> so you would have sent David his fax yeah. first. Yeah, in, yeah. In, information used to be alpha. Like everybody, that's over. Everybody has the same information instantaneously. That's right. But do we think that interpretation of information is still alpha? Like let's say everyone has the same data all at once, which is by design. That's like in the rule books. Is is reacting quickly is not going to be a strategy anymore because that's software. So it's still interpretation of what to pay attention to and what not to. Is still I think that's still an edge. I just don't know that anybody can claim to hold on to that edge for long. Agreed. No, you also need the weight. You need to be able to move a stock with enough weight, and not everybody can do that. So information technology, but also the ability to move money quickly. That's, a, that's still an advantage. That'll always be an advantage. And I don't think that that's an advantage unique to this industry, right? Like if you think about – we were talking about film before. You need to be able to interpret, hey, I, if I want to make this film, I see what's special about it. I see what's unique. You know, mm. I'm, going to, I'm going to make this where no one else sees the value in it. The same with the stock market. You just need to – you need to have enough expertise or enough talent – to interpret that information. So if that's your strategy, then you have time. That's what I was going to say. Like the the edge is time and the ability to withstand volatility. Like like patience is alpha in my opinion. I agree. You should get a t-shirt. That is patience is alpha. Or a new tattoo. I like that. I kind of feel like that's, I kind of feel like there's some truth to that. Um, All right. So we're laughing our way through this Evergrande thing, but uh, I wanted to share this with you guys. Nick Collis, who I read every morning at a data track. He's talking about, we've had, so third quarter earnings, which are going to start in four weeks, three and a half weeks, we're going to start getting those results. Um, we've had 12 straight months of Q3 estimates being revised higher, higher, higher. And then the last two weeks in a row, consecutive cuts con- for consensus estimates for the S&P 500. Like for me, that seems like it should be the type of thing that we're paying more attention to. Maybe not on an individual stock level, but like I don't think the – I don't think most people on Wall Street think that Q3 would be lower than Q2. But as it stands right now, that's that's where the, the consensus is. Um, what are we – like, and you look at FedEx blowing up yesterday. Like, what are we in store for in four weeks when we start hearing about this summer? Like, a lot of businesses struggled this summer. I think we're in store for what historically was a normal quarter where 89% of companies don't beat on earnings. 
right? Okay. That's not normal. We're in for pre-announcements. We've already gotten some, but there's more pre-announcements coming. That's normal. Like a normal quarter is messy and it's not, it's not fun. You know, I've been saying for the last few weeks that if the markets were as easy as they've been for the last three years, right. there'd be no need for professionals. There'd be no, there would be no need to, to do anything at all. Right. So right. now we need to interpret this data and say, okay, you know, you didn't beat, but here's what it looks out to in the next two, three years. What am I going to do with that? How am I going, how am I going to make this decision? You're going to need to go back to your Investopedia because you've actually forgotten some of the formulas that you need to use to value a company. I've, I got to look up Tobin's Q. I heard you guys talk about animal spirits. I got to get myself back up to speed. None of this stuff has worked for 15 years, but- I feel I feel good like it's some of it's going to come back. Yeah. Let's hope so. But to, the, to what we were saying earlier, yes, FedEx missed, stock got sold off today. But don't you think people's memories are so short right now that even if we get this bad news, company to company, you may see a big dip, you may see a big drop in, by individual companies or throughout sectors. But this wave of passive investing, the, the amount of money, the heaviness of the market right now, it's almost like what, what else are you going to do and what else are you going to do? Until interest rates start to go up or you really feel like they're going to go up, there's nowhere else to go right. unless you want to play in crypto. What do you do? I mean, there's so much money in the market right now. It's everywhere. And I think people's memories are just so short right now. And they're just looking for another opportunity to buy a stock at a discount and ride the wave. And I don't even think you need to have a short memory to make that argument. Because if you think about it, anyone who's new to this business in the last 10 years has only ultimately experienced up. And short, short pullbacks yeah. that they get out of. What would it take for that mentality to be shattered? It ain't going to be one earnings quarter. Like it would really, t I feel like it would really take six months of consecutive lower highs. Lower highs. I think you're right. Yeah. We, we haven't I mean, had that. All right. So every sell off we've had, none of them were orderly where it's like lower high, lower high. Like it was all just like V and then V shape recovery. We haven't it, even it was, had a plateau. It was elevator down, elevator up. You're right. Let me give people the, the data on what I'm talking about um, because Nick's stuff is is behind a paywall. But uh, basically, I mean, these are minor adjustments, but they're still adjustments lower. 49.23 uh, a share for Q3 S&P earnings on September 10th. On the 17th, it was 49.11. Um, and Nick is saying, quote, if the street is right and 49 per share is the correct number for S&P Q3 earnings – then U.S. large caps are a raging short right here. There's simply no way a market that trades for 20 times 2022 estimates is expecting Q3 results to be down 7% from Q2. So I think I think I don't think 20 times earnings is a lot uh, for a market with without earnings growth. It is. I think it's not okay, but I'll get on Michael's side for one sec, which is with a 1.3% 10 year treasury and the Fed still pumping in what's likely to be another Fair. 700 billion dollars. Also, I think also though, probably declining. But, right. But, 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 no, no. I mean, between now and when they end the taper. Yes. Right? But earnings are at record highs right now for almost every single sector. So if we didn't grow quarter over quarter, so what? Well, that's a great point. But that's going to matter on an individual stock basis Oh, totally. A lot. FedEx is blowing up. Yeah. Totally. So the, we've never had a Q3 during an expansion, an economic expansion. We've never had a Q3 earnings in any year that was lower than Q2. I think all of those sort of data points need to get thrown out, given yeah. given given the pandemic. Or the expectations are low enough that we do smoke the numbers if they keep coming, if 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 estimates continue to be cut. But I think you're right. I think this year is just you know resetting the bar. Next year will matter versus this year. I agree. Yeah. So. Such a weird. It's so all the comps are so weird. Right. And then again, back to the point of so many retail, new retail investors and traders in the market. Do they even care about earnings this quarter beating earnings last quarter? They don't even know or, what that is. They don't even know what that is. Yeah. So they care about what's what looks cheap. What can I buy? Where can I buy it? How quickly can I get it? And what 
how can I get jiggy with it if I want to buy options or or find another exotic tell, way to play tell, the market? Tell us what this Investopedia Anxiety Index is. So we track, and we've been tracking for, for 10 years or so, traffic to fear-based terms, fear-based terms in the market, like correction, like bear market. Plunge. Uh, plunge, right? Like uh, uh, economic terms. Yeah, economic terms, uh, recession, uh, depression, et cetera, and even personal finance terms like bankruptcy, foreclosure, et cetera. And we've noticed, and we've done the math, and we've had actually quants do the math, that the anxiety index, the traffic to these terms, spikes ahead of the VIX. So people are looking things up when they get freaked out, just like the other day when people are looking up Lehman Brothers. Before they act, they look up. Before they act, they look up. I think that's concurrent. Interesting. Interesting. They look up things first, not everybody, but a lot of people look up, what does that mean? get a 10-second head start. Right. They look it up, they sell. (laughs) That's the gap where you want to buy stocks or sell stocks. So the anxiety index, you know, was screaming like a two-year-old in a toy store when it's time to leave obviously back in March 2020 because things were going crazy, but it has become really, really quiet. And even in some of these cute little corrections or market dips that we've had, it's barely budging because I think there's this complacency that, oh, this is just going to grind its way higher or there's so much money out there that there's no way we're going to see another 5, 10, 15, 25, 35% drop. People are just not used to it. And this new crop of investors, to your point, Jenny, they've never seen anything like that. They don't know. They don't even know what a bear market is. Do, that was we, a cute bear. Do we need an exogenous event again to send stock? 30% lower? Like, can stocks fall 30% absent a COVID type? God forbid something really, I don't even want to say bad happens. Like, can we have a recession? I'm saying today, not not ever. Of course, ever we can. But like, what could cause stocks to fall 30% other than a shock right now? No, I, you're ba- it's backwards. The next recession will be caused by the stock market. Could be. Well, that happened in 2000. Right. Like, there was nothing else. It was the stock market. And that's, that's going to be the thing. The, the, the economy is no, I hate saying this out loud because people are going to get mad. The economy is no longer big enough um, to offset whatever the Fed is doing and whatever the stock market is doing. I think you're right. So it's going to be the other statement. way around. And people, I don't think people remember that we didn't have a bad recession. You don't in think a slowdown in the economy could take the stock market down? No, I think it's going to be the other way around. I think, I think he's right. I think, I, think, I think if stocks have a six-month bad stretch, wait till you see the consumer confidence data, Uni- University of Michigan stuff, um, uh, CFO's sentiment. It's, that's how big the stock market is now relative to the economy. It is so well, the buff, effing the buff, if big. You, if you bring up, if you pull, no F-bomb there, If John. you pull up the Buffett see? indicator on Investopedia, you would, you would see that that's right. The market cap to GDP, I'm pretty sure it's on an all-time high. It, well, it's reversed. It's, high, it's bigger now. Yeah. Yeah. So I yeah I I that's my own personal opinion I could be dead wrong but but because it is and because there is so much money in the stock market and we know only about half of people in the country do invest that can invest but there's still so much in there again what is the other option and I understand that we don't really have options right now because interest rates are low and for all the other reasons but once you have this massive money and I know I know this is a conversation that goes around and around but. Where are you going to go? What are you going to do? Put that in the bank? Yeah, but the, but Kaylee, I don't disagree with you. Like I, I do, but look at this chart from Yardeni showing like bond f- mutual fund, uh, bond ETFs mutual fund They're flows. bonds too. People, this is an alternative to stocks. I don't get it, but like record number of bond flows. I don't know where this is coming from, but people are buying bonds. Right. Well, look at the junk bond market. The journal had that story earlier in the week about soaring junk bond issuance. There's so much money out there, and people are looking for yield under any stone they can find it. That's why you're having these crazy coins pop in. The NFTs are popping. Everything is popping because people are just looking for more upside wherever they can find it. And and maybe we'll run out of places to look for it, but the stock market really hasn't disappointed even when the news has been bad. Let's get to that bond, the bond flows and the bond funds for a second, though, because I had an interesting conversation yesterday. So I'm on an investment committee. 
and um, and we had a conversation with one of our bond managers who for the um, for the organization that you know I don't want to say it, this endowment right it's like 120 million yeah, bucks in the there. IMF okay um, right now it's like 120 million bucks that this bond manager manages for us like very you know high end high quality and the conversation we were having was for so long individuals in particular thought bonds were a source of income and that for this big organization well, what, they were they were <laughs> right and then for the past 5 10 years the the salespeople at this organization have changed the conversation with their clients stability Okay, and growth. And in the last year, the and growth is gone. So all they're selling bonds on now, all the salespeople, and this is huge, like a multi-trillion dollar asset manager, and all their salespeople are selling bonds to the end clients on is stability. Yeah. So I see that. I'm like, wow. But it does work. Right. And when you've got cash yielding 0.1, suddenly the bonds at like 1.3, you know, 1.5 suddenly look good but it's interesting to me like I see that and I say that's how how actually scared people kind of are I was um in on Monday and Tuesday of this week I was out in Indiana meeting with clients and one of the clients that I met with immediately said like is now a bad time to invest the market is so screwed up you know the market's really screwed up it's a record high right but that's not what he means. He means there's like all this bad stuff going on. Right. I said to him, I'm like, the market's always screwed up. Like, tell me any period in time where you can't think of like 25 different things. But I think of people like that, you know, and if they don't have, and if they're going to the average investment advisor, you know, who just kind of succumbs to their fear mongering, they're going to keep pumping them into they're those They're going to end funds. up with a 50, 50, 50 allocation so the client could sleep at night and they'll yeah. earn no money. That's exactly right. Or think of all the huge endowments and public employee retirement systems and sovereignties who just straight up have a huge allocation of bonds. They have no choice. And so look, um, it's, even spreads, like this is double B. The spreads are 2%. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Microsoft or Google could borrow at, at 2%. Mm-hmm. Like low-grade companies could borrow at 3 or 4 It is uh, – um, Coinbase just borrowed at I think 4.5% for 10 years. Which is hilarious. It's Coinbase. like a barely, a barely legal business. Like literally Coinbase <laughs> is borrowing I think for 4.5% to 10 years. While they're, while they're being sued by the SEC, they're so, borrowing so, at 4%. So the, so the demand for bonds is – Extraordinary. Let's go to uh, let's go to the Fed thing this week. So the Fed whispered finally taper, which thank God they should have done this four I was months ago. Stunned. Were you? No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's, it's like I think that I mean I, I have a very strong opinion about this. I don't know better than the Fed. That's not where I'm coming from. But all, everything we're describing is are the symptoms. The cause of this is just money being like thrown at people, and the Fed isn't the only central bank doing it, not the only instrument of government doing it. The Treasury did it last year. I think it's doing more harm than good. But here's the the takeaway. Quote, if progress continues broadly as expected, the committee judges that a moderation in the pace of asset purchases may soon be warranted. So let's hope they're doing this before Thanksgiving. Not taking all the accommodation away, but like, do we need to be at maximum emergency levels of stimulus? They're still driving 120 miles an hour down the Meadowbrook. Right. But now they're honking the horn. Yeah, right. but that's okay. They're going to 95. <laughs> yeah. Uh, stocks rallied before and true to form, stocks rallied after, <laughs> which is a lot of fun. Uh, what, what was your takeaway from how things seem to have reacted? I mean, we have these great charts that it looks like a six-year-old wrote on. Was that you? Yeah. Well done, sir. Uh, in the dock. But uh, what was your take on like how the markets handled the whispering of the word taper? And they didn't even need to say taper. I mean, I, 
I'm always surprised when when we have a pullback and then when it rallies up this much on something that we completely yeah. expected. 70% of people expected happening. it. Yeah. yeah. So like, I don't get it. You know, that sounds kind of dumb. I Kayla, guess, what do you think? I, I mean, it was maybe it's finally like, finally, they said it. So we can finally start buying oh, stocks aggressively. You know right. what? You're, we know you're dancing around this for the last couple of months. There's this infighting, so they say, in, amongst the Fed governors and FOMC members, right? Nine against nine right now. But they finally just said, here's, where, here's what we plan to do. But it didn't come out until the press conference, actually, when a reporter actually asked Powell that question, yes. uh, that he actually put a timestamp on it because they can't do that in the official documents. But it's finally just re- this relief of just say it already. We know what you're going to do. Everybody knows what you're going to do. We just want a reason to either sell right now or buy right now. This grinding around in the middle that we've been doing for the last month or so in the stock market, I think it's, you know, folks are getting tired of it and we're all back, you know, from the summer. People either want to buy or sell and that you're seeing these extremes for the first time really in a long time where we had that 2% drop, 2.5% drop before stocks recovered the other day, but then it was all the way back. So I think people are just like, just get it out. In the summer, in the summer of 13, we have a sample size of one for something like this, but whatever, it's instructive. In the summer of 13, the market panicked when the when the term taper was mentioned, and it was swift, and it was stocks and bonds, and then the taper didn't actually start until December, I think. And then all through 14, each month, they removed a few billion dollars from the buying, and then by the end of 14, they were finished. And then in 15 is liftoff for interest rates. Think about that timetable, if this is even remotely close. So... Taper mentioned now, maybe they start around Christmas time or November or January, whatever it is. And then each month, what, what's the number? 120 billion a month? 120 billion. Each month they remove 10 billion. This could be a year of, of very gentle removing accommodation and then lift off for interest rates in 23. Like, is that like, why wouldn't you buy on that if, if that's what it looks like it might be? I think this gets back to Michael's point before, which is 21 times earnings is that cheaper expensive with money pumping in. It's right? not expensive, but right. Right. but it gets more money, expensive. It gets more expensive. Fair. Yeah, if, if I think uh, the the idea that stocks could get re-rated is a is a, is a is certainly a risk, right? That's a big risk. Mm-hmm. But again, and it then, always comes back to re-rated against what interest rates and re-rated Caleb's, how? Caleb's right. Like again, what re-rated against real estate? Re-rated against a ten-year treasury? I think that with the demand that we're seeing for bonds today already with rates at one and a third, I don't know why I just said one and a third, with rates super low, like what would the demand be for bonds if rates get up to two, two and a half, three percent? I mean, the three and a, it's funny, three and a half percent seems like in, impossible, impossible right now. Impossible, yeah. Um, I but, would buy the shit out of a treasury at three and a half percent. So everyone that would do that. Everyone else would do it. You're not gonna get the chance. Yeah. My dream is to see Muni's at eight percent again. Really, this, this is my is dream. dream. Yeah, because you know what I'm gonna do? It's by the way, it's never gonna happen. Muni's at where? Eight percent. And then I'm gonna sell out Which my taxable clients. equivalent yield, that'd be about twelve percent. Oh, so I'm gonna sell out my clients' portfolios and we're all gonna go all gonna drink cocktails on a beach for Stocks are selling it's not ever Stocks are selling at eleven times earnings if Muni's are at eight percent. Do you think anybody has the patience to wait for bond yields to climb? No. That's my point. Like, no There's one so has much patience. money waiting. Right. By the way, Muni's at Muni's at eight percent means these cities are literally on fucking fire. Yeah, that's why it's literally <laughs> impossible. <laughs> right. Uh, CNBC delivering alpha survey. They they did this this week. I think the day before the FOMC. This is survey. very interesting. I hate surveys, but given the market, well, I know who's in this survey, and they like take this very seriously. They talked to four hundred chief investment officers 
Uh, they don't call you for this. But they don't call Barry yeah. for this. What, what's funny is, though, there's two options here. Is now the time to be very conservative or very aggressive? There's no in-between. There's no in-between. Because it's, yeah, because it's, it's not fun. Yeah, it's not fun. Uh, but this, all right, so. But I would, so 76% said very conservative, 24% said very aggressive. If I had to choose, I wouldn't say that now is the time to be very aggressive. I would be part of the 76%. But the wording of the question, what kind of market risk are you willing to accept for yourself and your clients? A, now is a time to be very conservative in the stock market. B, now is a good time my to be po- very aggressive. My point is it's interesting that nobody would say out loud now is the time to be super bullish, but that's how everybody's behaving. You would answer that on a survey. You would not say that to a TV camera. Right. Not, you would not say, I'm going to get super aggressive. But nobody says now is the time to load up on stocks, yet the market is acting in such a way that every time it dips, that's how people are acting. But let's define what super aggressive in the stock market means right now, right? Because you used to AMC, say- AMC, GameStop, crypto. Okay. Yeah, I, today. I, I think about it in terms of asset allocation. Like That's what I was, yeah, yeah keep going. Like, uh, should, should you be 90-10 right now? Should you be down to 60-40, maybe even lower? That's how I would view well, it. That's how, well, that's how a CIO would view it. Right. A retail person would view it as- do I YOLO Chipotle calls into the right. earnings? It's or, two or, different so, or something conservative like Tesla. It's two, two completely different conversations. <laughs> right, You're right. Right. Yeah. right. right. P.S. Uh, individual investors, we survey our readers all the time. AAI surveys their, their readers all the time. It's very similar to this. I think investors all fi- feel the same way about this. It's a little bit sketchy out there. We're kind of at highs. There's all kinds of dicey <laughs> things happening, but I'll take some more if it's going to hit If that ever flipped, it would be the greatest sell signal ever. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what it would take if – if the last year doesn't get that to flip, like recency, because we've never had a double this fast, mm-hmm. or maybe we've had no, one. No, never. not like this. But the, so we we keep talking about the market, and we spoke about this last week. But like, there's so many stocks that look like absolute shit. Like, there's a lot of stocks that aren't working all over the place. You don't have to look very hard. No, there's bear, many bear markets all over the market in the mid caps and the small caps. Um, you can find them if you're looking, but if you're looking at the overall market and these big yeah, stocks- Yeah, if you look at the SP, you don't see it, but like Zoom looks horrible. AT&T, I mean, there's a there's a, a million sites that don't look good. Uh, I own a few of them. I, I, I agree. Uh, this is the expectations for the S&P over the next 12 months. 51%, the S&P will go up more than 5%. 44%, the S&P will be flat. And 5%, the S&P will fall. That's where you get that. Yeah. It, people really don't think that it will fall. I would take flat. I'd be thrilled with flat. Yeah. Flat, and then that gets into- Flat after last year? Yeah. yeah. But yeah. think about All the last day. three years, plus 30 and 19, plus 18 and 20, plus 20 this year. Like, yeah, we, could, we, could, we could chill yeah, out. Seven, yeah. 2017 was plus 27%. Uh, 2018 was flat, yeah. I think. And 2018, no, the, 2018 the bad year five. was okay. flat. It was what down five. Or down two. Total was return so might have been So basically down a crash. 1%. Basically yeah, a crash. crash. <laughs> By okay. today's standards. Uh, I want to hear about some of these search terms, Caleb, on yeah. uh, Investopedia right now. So we talked about the Lehman collapse. How many of these that you listed for us, and we'll we'll put those we'll put these on screen for the YouTubers watching this. But run through some of these and tell me how many of these are always on the list and how many of these are new. So when when I ask for this list, we call this the spikers list. This is for outliers. This is for uh, uh, articles or terms or definitions on the site that okay. are spiking five hundred percent or more beyond their normal seasonal spikes. So I can anecdotally confirm, Caleb. One of the one of the terms in here is <laughs> what are top leveraged S and P five hundred ETFs. We have been getting more and more emails from our younger listeners. Talk me out of using a, a levered ETF. 
TQQQ. Send, why, send, why would it die? Send them to me. Um, anyway, so this is so this is anything that was outside of you know PE ratio, which is always spiking, or PEG ratio, or compound. You know the classics. Those what are is, always those, those are, are always, always on the and list. that's you know those what are is bus- theta that yeah. spiked? Uh, what is theta spiked? And I had to go look that one up because I didn't know what theta is, even though. It's the first name in my fraternity, but I didn't know what it meant in the options world. Just, now. Look, I do. just look at Michael's portfolio. It's you time, see theta everywhere. It's time decay. So I learned about theta when I bought a Zynga put uh, 24 <laughs> hours later. I bought it. I bought it, and it was down 70% as soon as I press, pressed buy. Said no one ever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, obviously this week, the Lehman Brothers things was, were popping. People were looking up top leverage S&P 500 ETFs. They obviously wanted to know about tapering. We've been talking what is about tapering? Yeah. Operation Twist. Why does anybody care about that one? That, that's, that's just a been, throwback. That oper- that's for the year. That's so far this year. So the bottom list is the top spikers year to date. The top list is just this week. So I pulled the recent for you, and I pulled the Jenny, so far this year. What's the maximum I could lose on a covered call? Well, it's covered. <laughs> it's covered, hundred percent. Right. Uh, what is market manipulation? That's fine. So that yeah. So this year and really twenty twenty has been an explosion of people just diving around our site looking for what do these things mean. And then when we had you know the meme stocks going nuts earlier in the spring, everyone was looking up naked shorting, market manipulation. What's a short squeeze? Uh, what how to short sell? Obviously, what is Dogecoin? Yeah. What is the plunge protection team? Is that, that there? Oh my god, that's hilarious! That means like Zero Hedge was talking about that, or like some YouTuber was going crazy about the plunge protection. And you know what? This is why Investopedia is such a great business because if you're not a market participant, like, and you hear the word capitulation, you're like, wait, I don't. know. What does that mean? Right. It's a great word, but when you think about it in terms of what it means for markets, I wouldn't know, and I wouldn't know what it meant when I, when I was 21 well, no, years old. No quick, a quick anecdote. Sometimes we see terms popping for like whatever reason. I have to go look it up. So one year, a couple of years ago, uh, Rico was popping, right? Racketeering. Um, what? Uh, like two or three years ago, it was just popping. I was like, Giuliani. What, what is going on? Related. And I was like, something's going on out there in the world. And it turns out that it was the rapper Takashi 6 by 9 got arrested for racketeering and weapons charges and threatening to kidnap somebody. And they were hitting Investopedia? And they were hitting Investopedia. you have a lot of Takashi content on there? Oh, I, have, I do now. Do I have that? a whole section. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but I mean, people were popping and, and the, you know, the YouTube, uh, rap shows were putting up our definition on screen when billions is on TV on Sunday nights, mm. we have so much traffic to our sites. Look, people looking up, what do these things mean so when Axe is talking about it? When uh, succession is on, we get traffic. Even Koppelman e- would love to hear that. I tried to get Koppelman to come on and talk about it. It's, if you can help me with that, I would appreciate it. But people are, he he I wrote the, he doesn't do a lot. I but. wrote the listeners, the viewers guide to billions for Investopedia because we were getting so much traffic during showtime that I had to do it and and I got to keep it up because now what we're six seven seasons in there's a whole bunch of new stuff going on but we get traffic for the oddest reasons beyond just market participants just because we have 36,000 terms on this what's on billions this year specs we haven't hit specs crypto I I don't know anything I I have no no comment well you watching they just came back two weeks ago I'm asking for a sneak peek you gotta no never gonna happen all right uh so all right, so you're so you're you have this bird's eye view then into like what the terms that the new investors are really interested in. Um, half of these things, half of these things seem like just classic things that they should know about, and half of these things didn't exist even five years ago. Like, like what is Ethereum? Right. That, what, the fact that people are asking that, like, in 2021, with a stock market up 18 percent, 
it really tells you like how hard people are looking for new things to do. Oh, that's only up like two or three thousand percent. It's a blockchain. So, so I get it. Right. Um, <laughs> but you know, we have to keep writing new crypto terms because new coins are popping, new terms are popping around the crypto sphere. So we're constantly writing new stuff, but we spend much more time updating the old stuff because it's usually we're look, like I said, no one's coming in the front door. They're always like, what does that mean? Either Googling or binging and whatever your search engine is and coming to us through this weird back door, side door entrance. And then we have to make that old content. Some of it was written in 2002, four, eight, 10. We have to bring that up to date with the modern reference and a case study. That's what we spend a lot of time doing. So Michael, you said you guys are always the, you know, one of the top results. Well, the reason is we put a lot of time and effort and money into making sure we're updating all that content to give it a fresh date stamp. I have a, I have a business proposition. You tell me the top 100 terms, and it's me and Jenny. I love it. Do a video, and you just embed the video, and it's like, I Hi, love it. I'm I Jenny from Gilman Hill. I don't think the internet is ready for that, but right. I, I want to try it. Are you guys Let's do it you, anyway, Josh? Are you guys <laughs> doing a lot with crypto? Like, if do you have like what is Uniswap, for example? I, I bet we do. Don't. Don't test me on that, but if we don't, we'll have it tomorrow because I'll assign it tonight. So we have that, but we also have what's the difference between Ethereum and Ether? What's the difference between Bitcoin and Ethereum? What's the difference? You know, so we have to have all these comparisons out there. Okay, Michael, we're going to write it. And actually, you could write it for me if you don't mind. No, I can't. I um, think it's admirable that these kids are looking things up with as much gusto as they seem to be. Yeah. Like, I think that's I'm cool. impressed. Educated yeah. investors, yeah. we all want that. And that's yeah. the thing. That There's a there's a there's two ways of looking at the last year and a half, which is so many new market traders and people coming in trying to make a fast buck and gamble and trying to trade oh, the market. Oh, right. Oh, so what? That's so what, that's what everyone does. And then the other side market. of it is, hey, we have a lot more market participants and hopefully they'll make more than one or two trades in their Robinhood or Webull account and they'll go on to make a lifetime of investing and learning because that's what it's all about, right? That marathon. And hopefully a lot of these people will stick with it it, keep learning and actually build portfolios. Keep gambling. Yeah, keep gambling and sell it all for, uh, my for Ethereum. That's my favorite. Uh, like, you know, all the hustle porn on like um, Instagram. Like, like, there's a lot of people doing like how to be a billionaire that, that live at home. Um, With their parents. Sometimes, so, this is the one I saw that I like though. Sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. I was feeling <laughs> that's pretty, I was, good. I I pretty, like good. That. pretty like good. It's very accurate. It's kind of deep. I was feeling that. That should go on a T-shirt, too. Uh, we're not going to spend a ton of time on this, but the Build Back Better plan will absolutely have ramifications for our clients, definitely your clients, Jenny. What, if anything, are you being asked about some of the way the new taxes might affect investors? Like, Are you, are you worried about this yet, or is it too early? Or No, we're worried. So it's a dividend income strategy, right? So oh, if so the dividend tax goes up, that kind of stinks. Tell everybody, tell everybody how dividend taxation works. So right now, dividend taxes and long-term capital gain taxes are the same. Okay. So they're both in that 20, 15% for if you earn, what is it, under 450? Yes. 20% if you earn over 450,000. Okay. And then the 3.8% um, in addition to that. Which now, covers Obamacare, basically. Yep. Right. Um, now, what I think is interesting is that at this point, it's only saying, or rather, the last thing I heard was that that tax rate's only going up for households that earn over a million dollars. That's what you're hearing. Still is that say. where they're at right now in the negotiations? That's the last I heard. I hope that's still true. If that's true, the reality is not that many people are affected. Not um, that many people earn a million a year. They have millions. No, I looked at it. It's but they've accumulated it mm -hmm. over years and years. That's right. Only about 250,000 households in America. Duncan, earn. you're f***ed on that. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Poor Duncan. Oh, and you dropped the F-bomb. I did. I want you to know Sorry. I'm on my best behavior today. Is your mom going to listen to this? <laughs> Probably. Oops. She right. thinks you're awesome. Tell, tell her I said yeah. hi. Yeah. Thank All you. All right. So what are you telling people that are like, so I think you're not going to change how you invest. No, 
And for 98% of our client base, maybe more, it doesn't matter. Right. They're not going to be affected, but people are kind of freaked out by it. And then the conversation, which you and I am are both having too is, oh, well, should I take my capital gains this year? If ta capital gains taxes are going up, shouldn't I take them this year instead of next year? The reality is, if it's only for households over a million, very, very, very few people will actually be affected by it. So let's hope that that's still what happens. To me, that seems fair. It seems there's a lot of double taxation anyway by the time you get to capital gains and dividends. So it seems pretty unfair to me to hike it higher than that. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't get the sense that we're getting that many questions about it, but am I wrong about that? I wouldn't know. Like, well, maybe I would. You would. I feel like you would. If know. we were getting, if we were getting a lot, I mean, it's it's, it's so early. The proposal, the, these proposals are just coming out a week a week ago. Yeah, but I've been being asked about it since before the election. Like, oh, if right. Biden wins this, is that what's going to happen? So, so I've had a peppering of it all year. Um, I would say, I don't have a pickup in questions right now. It's kind of the same. It's just part of the conversation. Would you Would you change your strategy? Oh, never, never. <laughs> Well, because think about That's what good. My you shouldn't. Because <laughs> the tax <laughs> regime and worse, is right, Josh. <laughs> well, no, the tax regime is going to swing back and forth. Right. You look. You well, could go nuts with opportunity zone funds and all that shit if you really feel like you have clients that need that. But to your point, most people are not going to be that affected. And that, think that about too. I do something really specific, right? I manage a dividend income strategy. So most of our clients have hired us to replace income. You know, whether they retired or started or started an income stream because it makes them feel better, but they need that income. And the reality is, is a 20% rate on it versus a 22% rate or 23. Yeah. It's, not, it's not material. Right? And they don't have any other place to get income from, you know, particularly with bonds not going there either. So, so it's kind of like, sorry, you know, you don't have a better choice. And by the way, probably- you Are you doing REITs also? Yeah. It's you kind are. of crazy. So that, that dividend- uh, That's non-qualified. That's a distribution. So that's ordinary income anyway. It's ordinary income anyway. But it's but, not a huge part of the portfolio. And it's just- But this, yeah. is why, this is why interest rates are so important because you could get 3% on Hershey or Colgate or whatever the numbers are or Pepsi. But you can't. You can't even get that much? No. Okay, so- It's wild. Okay. Like maybe 1.6, maybe. Really? Yeah. Well, on some of the staples, you get up to 3%. But anyway- on what, Okay, only if you go out really, really far. Like, I, I haven't looked at bonds in a couple weeks. No, I'm, I, not, I'm, not, I'm talking about stocks. Oh, sorry. I'm talking about consumer staple stocks. <laughs> sorry, I, yeah. So my point is, would you rather get 2.5% right. from McDonald's, 3.5% from Coke, or earn a bond? Like, it's not, to me, if, if you need the income, that's not even a, a question. So, so okay, so you need to stomach the volatility. So you know the, you know the dividend's coming. Right, they're not going bankrupt. Right. And by the way, when you're in a March of 2020 and you're freaking out because your portfolio is down, and you say, well, look, the income's coming to me. You know, Colgate, Pepsi. But, but like, there were dividend, there were dividend, there were definitely buyback cuts. Energy there cuts, all of, there always are. But but I don't think but that- It, it was not of, meaningful. A lot of the staples did not cut their stocks. And this is why I think that dividend strategies work, even if they're not the most tax effective way, because people hold on to their dividend That's paying exactly stocks. That's exactly right. And you get them through. So like my conversation with my clients last March, the, psych the psychological component of it was unbelievably beneficial. So when everyone was terrified, right, and portfolios were down 30% right. in like two weeks, the conference, the calls with the clients were going, okay, but you needed $50,000 a year to live on. And that's completely un intact. And, you know, you're talking to me on your Verizon cell phone right now. Like, you think right. they're cutting their dividend right now? Exactly. I, I, own, I own that piece of shit. The dividend is all the, the only thing <laughs> but, that's but, good but for. But it's the better than a bond. Yes. Right? Yeah. And then you balance out the portfolio, yes. you know, and you have some things that have a lower yield and higher growth, and you have some things with a higher yield and lower growth. But so, you know, so what? If McDonald's falls 30 40%, you know McDonald's is not going anywhere. No. So you could hang on. Right. And 
if your experience has been the past 10 years, stock price is coming, probably coming back sooner than right. you expect. Right. But that dividend income stream for people who need it for, for either for the practical elements of their life where they just need their salary um, or they need it for the emotional for the emotional relief that it gives in a bad market, that's what gets you through. Like one of the things I realized last year along this is, and and this is kind of, you know, I'm a portfolio manager, but what I'm about to say is bad for portfolio managers and amazing for investment advisors. Def- definitely say it. Okay, I will. But <laughs> I I'm like, I could be the best portfolio manager in the world. I could make Warren Buffett look terrible, right? And if I hadn't been able to do the investment advisor kind of job or work with advisors who understood the strategy and got their clients through or manage a portfolio that was able to do that, a lifetime's worth of great returns would have been for nothing. Yeah. And so it really, it's really, a really great point. Yeah, it really occurred to me last year that the investment advisor and and the psychology, you know, that they're able to bring to their clients and get them from. But you're from, doing both of those things. You're, you're not holding yourself out as I do financial planning, but no. you're talking to the clients directly. So you are fulfilling that psychological component that I agree with you. That's the whole ballgame. You could have the most optimized portfolio on earth, but if it can't be held on to at the most crucial moment, right. what is it all for? And being able to talk to clients, whether it's through the advisor because we work with some advisors you know, and then some clients directly, but whether whoever it's through, if the client knows like, okay, and we can all make fun of me for owning IBM because it's a total dinosaur, but you know what? When you're in March of 2020 and you're like, look, IBM's paid a dividend and raised it for like 35 years straight, AT&T, Verizon, like, yeah, you've got other stuff in there too. And it's a little bit mixed up. But when you can talk through that, whether it's the advisor talking the client through it, then it's not, oh, the market's scary. You know, it's like, yeah. I understand this. I was reading, I was reading your letters. You, you put me on, you put me on the list. <laughs> no, I, I listen, uh, I, I said this on my Instagram uh, when I was playing the clip of me demolishing you in the bet. Mm-hmm. But I said, Jenny's like one of the few people I know on TV that I would actually give money to in real oh, life. thank you. So I definitely meant that. Caleb is the other <laughs> because he's got this algorithm that tells me what everyone's searching for. Right. So between you two guys. Um, I want to move things along because we have to get to this uh, junk bond thing. Speaking of dividends on stocks, like dividend paying stocks in my mind are a better deal than junk bonds. 100%. And the yield on junk bonds is only slightly higher. Didn't we just do this? Uh, $3 trillion market for low-rated companies' debt, having its best year ever, powered by a rebounding economy. Wait, what does best year ever mean in terms of raising money? Money coming in. Money in, coming the, in. in the junk bond market alone, U.S. companies have issued more than $361 billion of bonds uh, with speculative grade. All right, so there's very little fear in the stock market. There's even less fear in speculative uh, bonds. But, like, what even is a speculative bond? Because is anyone not have enough money right now? So, like, does any corporation other than this thing in China, like, in a situation where they don't have cash, I feel like— Well, even during the crisis, I feel like Royal was raising money at, like, 9 or 11%. Like, that's not a lot of return given the level of risk. And I'm sure they're going to pay it back, but— Yeah, the, the, the airplanes were raising money. Right. So, like, what else, do you need, what else do you need to know? So is there even a junk bond that exists right now? Evergrande? In the United States, is anyone, is anyone really a junk bond? Well, there were a bunch that were that are no longer. Those fallen angels are no longer junk yeah, bonds anymore. They're so fine. to your point, probably not. Well, what are default? Point. I mean, but defaults are defaults are so low. Nobody's defaults are low. How could you default right now? You can't, and that's the whole. Cannot th- default. That's the whole zombie company thing, right? Like, with as long as interest rates are this low and money is this free, nobody can. Default. Would you still say though, given that that's where we are, and the Fed doesn't seem to want to disrupt that? that dividend-paying stocks are still a better deal than junk bonds. I mean, this goes back to Michael's point. I would feel way more comfortable 
owning some of those consumer staples. Like, what are you going to get? Five Equity. Right. Five percent versus three percent. You've got some growth. If if things get ugly for whatever reason, whatever exogenous thing happens next, where do you want to yeah, be? Yeah, it's not even close. It's like you get the three percent dividend. You have some upside if the stock goes up, or or you could get paid back five percent or blow up. Right. Yeah, the junk bonds will get treated like equities. So that's for why a minute. that's what they always do. This is why yeah. I think that obviously the Fed is a huge player in the field, but so are investors. And the demand for fixed income for any yield is going to put a cap on interest rates. I think. And I was asking uh, actually Ben this question a couple of months ago: Is the Fed always going to have to be you know here to save the day whenever we get? You know, hit rocky times. Their job is to not protect the stock market, but LOL. Is it? (laughs) (laughs) Why do do they always make announcements when we're violating the 200 day? (laughs) Exactly. Um, But I mean, is that safety net just going to be there? Or the fact that we know that it could be there, is that just going to change? Or has that already changed investor psyche? So the the downside is is not going to be that bad no matter what. That's the trillion dollar question. $64 $64 trillion uh, question. Let's let's talk about this young man opting out of college thing, and then we're going to go straight into favorites. What? So this is Scott Galloway again. By the way, Scott's supposed to be on this podcast later this fall. Um, me and his assistant are working on that. It's a daily project, but we'll get him. We'll get him here. He's not a, a native New Yorker anymore, but we'll we'll get him here. So I think this podcast the, needs more bald men. I, I agree, but I think uh, I think this is this is like still staggering to me. Who wants who wants to read these? Why don't you go through these, Michael? In 1970, 59 percent of U.S. college students were men. That number has decreased to 1940. No, to 40 percent. I'm sorry. What did I say? Don't blow the whole. I'm going to take no, take you off this uh, task. Right. U.S. Uh, colleges now receive 35 percent more applications from women than they do for men. What is going on? I don't think this is like that potentially alarming and dangerous. Oh, it's not and, and terrible. Do you spend any time on the internet? I understand. I understand that disenfranchised men are more likely to to cause danger to society. So from that point, but but well, what's co- more co- disenfranchising than like in 2021 and beyond not being able to get one of the jobs that actually pays a living okay. wage? Okay, okay. Why do you have to go to college to to? Yeah. To, oh well, that's changed. That's changed. I I think that's changed now. But maybe only temporarily. I don't right, know I have about two that. data points. So I was in Elkhart, Indiana on Monday and Tuesday. I've never seen anything like this, right? And this is the RV manuf- manufacturing capital of the world. Everywhere I went. By the way. Channel checks? What's, what's going on? <laughs> no, clients. Do you, own that, do you own the stock or you see I have clients? a bunch of clients out there. Okay. Really, really like awesome, you know, wonderful okay. people, nice place to go. I've never seen anything like this. Everywhere I drove. Huge flags flying, now hiring, hiring, now hiring, yeah. hiring. $70,000, this is what I heard, $70,000 like starting salaries, right? There's no need for a college education no. on any of these Can jobs. Can you be here? Right. right. They were joking around. Some of my clients were joking around like, oh, and they get a bonus if they stay until Tuesday. They get another bonus <laughs> right. if they stay until Friday. Right. Stunning. Then I was watching, okay, because I live in this 1784 house, right? So I, I watched this old house. I'm watching this old house. They've been doing this huge promotion for the You live month. in uh, George Washington's uh, vacation condo. Yeah, where he peed on the wall. Right. Okay. Um, <laughs> I wasn't going there. <laughs> you guys all remember what it was, Fra- Franz's Tavern or whatever? That was their claim to fame. So, um, so I'm watching this old house. And they're doing this whole thing on how apparently there's no there's no um what's it like succession planning in the building industry. So they've dedicated all these shows to saying basically don't go to college. This old house might get mad. Do construction. Do construction. Yeah. You can have an amazing job. You can make a ton of money. So I think it's interesting because everywhere I'm going, I'm hearing like actually 
there's all these jobs and there's this huge need for people in the crafts and in the trades. Um, so anyway, so I, I see that. I think what you're trying to say is good help is so hard to find these days. I think that's I true. think what's more dangerous than not going to college is going to college, getting six figures in debt and not having a real a real uh, I, I think skill. that's more what, we, what we're seeing going on. I don't think they're going, I don't know if it's worth it. Maybe I'll drive a truck and make 75 grand a year. I don't think it's that. I think people have given up on the idea that they're going to have a better life if they go to college. Yeah, but honestly, are, would any of us like not send our kids to college? Come on. Like we say we're saying these things, but would any of us not make sure our kids go but to college? But we I think we're in a little bit more of a privileged situation yes. than a lot of other people. Fair. When you actually have to make that decision, to your point, two hundred and fifty grand for uh, you know, four years of this of, or or even two hundred and fifty grand for four years of this, and then I'm in debt and I may not get the job that I want. I think people are giving up and that notion that I can't live better than my parents did, I think is much more prevalent now than mm-hmm. it was a few years ago. It's even corros- though and that's corrosive. Right. See, and that I notion. see that and I'm kind of encouraged because I think there's something off in the supply demand, you know, of workers and what we need. So I see that I'm like, hey, great. Maybe the system's calibrating itself. All right. So that's that's the that's actually the positive and, way to look at it. And as somebody then. who said I'm sending my kids to college in like fifteen years, I love this. I want prices to go down. Oh, your kids are gonna take do their classes on chain. Like your kids, your kids' college is going to be blockchain college. Can, can, I, can I add something? <laughs> as, What's up, Duncan? As a former uh, uh, adjunct professor, um, I just want to point out that I think the scariest part of this is that college wasn't just always about getting a job. That it's also supposed to be about having an enlightened, mm-hmm. open-minded populace. And that, yeah, it's scary to me. No, we, we don't, we're definitely we not going to have that either way. Yeah, I mean, especially when like we want people to like get a vaccine. LOL. It's probably not a great idea yeah. to not have. Oh, people, people are supposed why. to. Okay, people are supposed to be finished. In college, socially, like, right, like to some extent, school finished. Like, yeah, not like put, uh, what which, which, what's the salad fork? Um, people, when they leave, if you go to if you go away for four years, you should be at that point able to move to any city, make new friends. You should have like networking skills, like very, very non-academic skills that are equally important to like get along in the world. I do think college gives that to twenty-year-olds in a way that they may not get on a job site. But again, it's not always an option for and everyone. not everybody needs it. Right. You know, not all jobs require that. Fair. Uh, where are the libations? Where'd you, le- where'd you leave that? Does your hat say World Pandemic Champions? What the hell is that? It's pan- no, Pandemonium. Okay. Pandemonium. It's, it's pa- it's, that says pandemic, no? Yeah, no. It's, it's, it's from the hip-hop community. The you li- definitely wouldn't understand. The libations are here. We need an opener of some sort. I'll use the bottom of my shoe. What, what do you, let me see what oh, you got. Oh, well, I got some gifts. And I, Look at from this. From Jenny and I. You open one and you open the other. But Look I'm an uh, Italian Renaissance art oh my God. enthusiast and major, and I love me some Italian wine. All right. Michael is now biting the bag. With his teeth to open it. Do we have video running on Michael these opening are, a gift? These are two. Like an, a, like an animal. I tried to animal. tie, I tried to untie you, it. The animal spirits is so appropriate. I think we have to now send I you know. back to college to finish <laughs> two, it. I didn't, I didn't finish college. Two robust reds. One is a Brunello de Montalcino. And Fancy. the other is a Barbaresco. These oh, are Chris good loves these autumn reds to have with, uh, I think, our friend J.C. So This is so sweet of you. Thank you so much. He, 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 would, he would welcome Do we have uh, a straw? Uh, the, Duncan, do we have straws? I think you need that helmet with the two cups I, and I the straw that goes straw. in your mouth. <laughs> What's a Barbaresco? Is that the grape or is that the, the Barbaresco region? is the grape. Brunello is the region. Okay. Um, but we don't, we don't play around when it comes to Brunello. This is beautiful. Thank you, Caleb. If we're unable to find a corkscrew between now the and the end of the show. Shoe, the we'll, bottom of your shoe. We'll, right you have a corkscrew? Use John's, the bottom John's of your shoe. A corkscrew uh, and glasses. I've been taking my wine tips from JC now for the last... 
for the last can, year. Can we, can we, can we just can we talk about this, this yes. Google purchase real quick before we move on to favorites? Yes. So what exactly did they buy? They bought like the building that they're currently occupying space in. Oh, the one in, where the is, that? Number, is that? The Chelsea? Uh, it's called St. Uh, I'll tell you what it's called, but they spent $2.1 billion on Manhattan real estate. Talk about We're it, back. a contrarian bet. We're back. And you know I bought the SL Green earlier in the year. Actually, yes. yeah. Do they own, I, do I do they own that building? That. They don't own that building, but they own a tremendous amount of Class A New York City office space. Stocks being priced as if no one's ever going to be here again. This Meanwhile, is on the got, west side of Manhattan. I think it's in Chelsea. Yeah, it's uh, in Chelsea. It's, it's mass, massive. It's right across from the Chelsea market. It's enormous. There are about six restaurants within the Googleplex in there where you can eat if you're an employee. You can have Asian food one day or in one part of it. You can have barbecue. It's a massive building interconnected with these cool hallways. But to your point, look, look around here. Michael we, and I went to the Google HQ in uh, Venice. I've never seen so many chefs work for a software company. That was, that was so they cool. Have, they, so they brought us in like for lunch. That's was, awesome. They have a lot of chefs. Beyond so epic. Jealous. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> but what's going to happen cool. around this neighborhood, right? This feels Oof. like the deadest Oof. part of town. We're it down is. on Wall Street now where it feels like it's popping. <laughs> where are you guys? We're down on uh, 28 Franklin, right up the street from the stock exchange. You know why it's popping? Because it's a residential neighborhood. Yeah, but you I know what? As of the last year. Yeah, yeah. I, heard, I heard Steve Roth speak at a conference a couple years ago, and he said Manhattan for the— for the first time in his career, Manhattan's you, flat, right? Manhattan real estate's flat, where it doesn't matter where you live or where your office is, prices are flat. It used to be neighborhood to the neighborhood. Do we believe that, though? You know. I, I don't know. You don't think it's coming back to flat? Not here. Right now it's not. You really don't? No. Even the storefronts are still closed. Forget about the office buildings. Like, the storefronts. I'll make you a bet. Okay. <laughs> now you have, wait, you have I don't know my how interest. to measure it. Now you have my attention. I know, I know how to put the you know the the terms in place for the bet, but you I don't know bet how to on measure not, it. You want to bet on an office occupancy rate for Midtown Manhattan? I can get you the data for that. Wait, Caleb, what's is this that chart? the right number or is it is it you occupancy? Tell me because you want to bet that's on what I'm thinking. Rents front? maybe two years from now. But you know, are they flat with other areas? Flat to 2019. The turnstile, or is it flat across across the island? The turnstile data is still awful in New York City. Yeah, like I people mean, New are York City is still tough. But all these big Class A buildings, not the little ones, but big Class A ones, they still have eight nine year leases on them. And I'm very leased- bearish on New York City commercial real estate. Yeah, where do you live? Long Island. If you lived in the city, you probably wouldn't be. Maybe. I, I do, and I I'm bearish on it too. We we you're do this in, you're project. In Manhattan. Mm. You're, I just you're think it, I just think it's done forever. I really do. I think it was such a watershed moment the, the pandemic. We do this project with New York One, where we've been tracking the New York City economic it's recovery. Delicious. That's the chart. Thank you. Cheers. Incredible. Cheers. Delicious. Cheers, Cheers to everyone. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. Um, Let's all take a sip at the same time. Well, it's, <laughs> you're saying delicious three times. Ooh, I gotta get so after good. it. It's good. Stings the nostrils. It's only gonna in get good better. Way. Really? Um, no. So we've been <laughs> we've been tracking the New York City economic recovery, looking at data like real estate sales, pending sales, looking at rents, looking at um, swipes, MetroCard swipes, open table reservations, unemployment, and COVID hospitalizations. You have this data on your site for yeah, everybody. Yeah, and we put okay. it on New York One. I go on New York. We're on New York One every Wednesday with this data. So. That's awesome. Yeah, and we've been doing this since pre, right around uh, June of last year. So three months into the pandemic. Oh, and we're totally, actually looked good. But what's this? What's this recent dip? I don't like that. This is Delta. a recent dip. Uh, this Delta. is Delta. Delta. This is Delta. This is um, also some Evergrande. The, Ever, ever grande, um, but this is also uh, a drop People in home sales. coming to, to New York because of Evergrande. <laughs> <laughs> Two hours, a drop in real estate sales. Manhattan and Brooklyn were on fire with real estate sales for the past I don't know nine months. Yes, but now inventory is super tight. Right, prices are only are, are very high on the high end only. That's the only thing that's available right now. So people are buying less, 
People are renting more. You've seen the rental market pop back. It's not a demand problem. Not it's at all. It's a price problem. Not at all. Right. And, and you know, we have kids back in school, but the subways are only about 50% right now because no one's coming to these buildings in the Bryan Park area or even uh, even further downtown. And that's killing all of the little businesses around it, right? These ecosystems are very tightly tied together. So we're only about, as of today, 71% of the way back. We were 77% of the way back. But I feel like we're going to stay in this three-quarters of the way back, back for a long is, time. Is unattainable. I, yeah, I, I, I said like 75 80% is, is, is max. How, 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 how far you would take the other side of that? Apartment, office, or retail? Office, office, office. Well, they're all related, though, in Midtown. Uh, I you think, can't have retail if there are no office correct. workers I think, in yeah. Midtown. But so, I so retail's yeah. been in the dumps for a long time, though, right? My brother's ice cream company That's is a direct too. beneficiary of that. They've got they got amazing spaces over the past five years. Duncan, she's doing a commercial. When did FAO Schwartz leave? Mm, five years five ago? Five years ago? I think so. Yeah, no, oh. you're right. That's been but a so secular decline been way before the pandemic. I just think I just think you don't bet against New York City. I think we can all argue that it, we would believe it's the greatest city in the world, right? Anyone here want to argue on that one? No. And it's going to recover. Like, whatever format that recovery comes in, people want to be here. That's true. It's amazing. It oh, will be. It will be. Vignette. It will be very – it will be – as big, but in different ways, yes. I think is a good take. I, I think, think I'm with you on that. And it's interesting, too, for me to talk to all my clients who are in Seattle or Indiana you know, or Florida. They're dying to come back to New York. Like, they're dying for Broadway to fully reopen. Yeah, for they're like dying. three days. Yeah, to and visit, <laughs> buy some T-shirts, see Are they, see are a they show. dying to walk down uh, 34th Street? Because I wouldn't be. I think, it, I think the point is— How'd you come into the city return, today? Grand Central? I took, yeah, I took the train. It was shockingly normal. I'd rather come into Grand Central than Penn. I'll tell okay. you that. Any day. Mm-hmm. So— but the bottom line is, as people return, the city's going to return to some version of normal. It's the greatest city. Rates are interest. Sorry, rental rates, however they flesh out, are going to they're going to be okay. Like you just so don't you, bet so against you, it. But, but there is no feeling that you have to be here. Not right? right now. I would say when I started my career, it was like if I want to be in media, if I want to be in financial news, if I want to do any of this, yeah, I got to be here. You have, I have to. to be here. Now I feel like I can spend a little bit of time there, but I don't know if I need to be here or if I need to raise a family here. Um, which is that's a great point. Thing. Nobody needs to be here nine to five, five days a week, and they never will. Like, but, but I don't. Do you really think everyone who is here needed to be? I think, at least from well, my they friends, were supposed to be. But a lot of people just like being here. You know, yeah. a lot of people like being in New York because it's vibrant and it's alive. You I know, like being here too, one day a week. I love being here one day. Yeah, a week. Yeah, that's the problem. You because can't we all grew up in the suburbs. All these yeah. lunch places. Okay, it's different. We all we all grew up in the suburbs. We didn't grow up in you know in small rural communities where right. we were bored forever. And you and you dreamt of like I want to move to New York. Well, for no, young shout pe- out to all our rural listeners. We know you're not bored forever. We love you. <laughs> for young people, compound, it's great. Compound Thank of friends. you for loves, man. Loves our rural. All right, all right. Let's move on. Um, well, yeah, I guess we'll have to, oh, only time will tell. Time will tell. Uh, let's do favorites. Uh, I don't want to go first. Wait, I was, I was surprised to see your American Ross. I saw the first episode. Mm, super dark. I love it. I yeah, love, I love dark. it. But did, did, how many it's episodes, right did, you, how many episodes did you watch? All right, I guess we're doing this. I watched both episodes. Was, was two so good? Far. Two was good. Okay. No spoilers. American Rust set is- the, Set the stage. What's his name? Jeff, Jeff Daniels? Da- Jeff Daniels. He's like one of the best actors- mm-hmm. Who would have thought the guy from Dumb and Dumber is one of the best television actors in, in the country? He was good in Newsroom. He's good he's, in everything he does. He's good in everything. And uh, Maura Tierney, she was in- um, She's, she's been great. In, she's she been was on news things. radio. She's been in a million things. She was in The Affair, the other Showtime show. She's in a million things. She's mm-hmm. awesome. So uh, Jeff Daniels is like a small town Pennsylvania sheriff. sheriff who gets like involved in a lot of shit. I don't want to say any more, but if you like 
I don't want to call it a murder mystery because I kind of feel That's like. That's how I described it. Yeah, but you know who did it. Right. So, or maybe we don't. So anyway, if you're into dark shit and good acting and good writing and slow burn, this is the show for you. Can I go next? Please go. Shoot. If you're not into dark shit and you're not into good acting and you're not into good writing. <laughs> go on. <laughs> this sounds like my wife's favorite. <laughs> The yeah, only Robin, show. listen. <laughs> yeah, what is it? 90 Day Fiance. Okay. And even better than 90 Day Fiance, and by the way, this is like the only show I watch, is the Twitter feed, which is hilarious. What is this? Tell me all about it. Oh, my I have God. No, I'm clueless. Same. Okay, so I think it's on Bravo. It's like, you know how- That makes sense. Shoot, what is it? You know, um, Impractical Jokers, how yes. now True TV, it's like their only show. Yes. This is like, if it's Bravo, it seems to be like their only show. Yeah. So they've got like 90 different inter- um, iterations of it. And so what it is, is people- in America who want to marry someone overseas and they get this like 90 day, whatever it is, K-1 visa. They bring them here. They've got 90 days to get married and the drama ensues. And then and, can they return them if it's not good? That's they a perfect do. They TV do show. return them occasionally. I usually root for them to be returned and it never happens, which like, is super disappointing. So it's, so it's like – does like border patrol come and send them back home? No, after? I've never seen it that. Sounds happen. brutal. No, no, it's not brutal. Yeah, it's but the person dramatic. has to leave the country if they're not married. But it like never happens, right? Oh. And by that time, they hate each other so much that they just go home. But it almost never happens. They always stay. Okay. I always. And now they've got ninety day fiance. The other way where people are moving to other countries, it's very, time very out. Is low it brow. Me- is it is it like men having women come from overseas Both. or the reverse? Both. It's so, a mix. are there women that import men to oh, marry? Oh yeah. Okay, I don't know. <laughs> that's, what that's a great idea for a TV show. I can't believe you haven't watched. So, this. what it's are these fantastic. thirty minute episodes? Oh no, like two hours. Oh my I mean, gosh. they start off like thirty minutes. I think the first time I watched it was on an airplane. I call my husband. I'm like, oh my god, we got to watch this show. All right, I'm in. I got to check yeah. this out. And the Twitter feed. I know you don't. Have like you the- seen this? I have not seen it, but I'm tuning in tonight. You're into it. It's a perfect TV show. The idea. real one have is like this? Sunday nights. Robin would be into this. I'm shocked I haven't. But Josh, listen, I know you don't like the Twitterverse anymore but the twitter feed for it is hysterical why i don't know they just pick on everyone and everything and they're so mean and it's fun but not mean in a bad way just mean in a funny way they tweeting clips from the show you're saying clips and like commentary i I was sitting on the airplane monday morning (laughs) reading the twitter feed from the sunday night show like crying laughing okay all right Uh, listen i can't promise that i'm gonna check out the twitter feed but i will watch the show okay (laughs) all right michael what do you got on HBO Max, they break down. There's like categories. So, like for example, there are, and they're pretty, they're pretty uh, granular. Like directors in movies. So, like Rocky, for example, Stallone directed Rocky. So that was one of category. Another category that so was like award-winning indie films or something like that. And I don't know what compelled me to click on this one movie called Blue Ruin, but I I went on the Rotten Tomatoes as I do and saw 96 percent for the for the Is clip that about the Smurfs. So ninety-six uh, percent for the for the critics, seventy-nine percent for the audience. That's good enough for me. The tagline is a mysterious outsider's quiet life is turned upside down when he returns to his childhood home. I'm in. Ninety minutes, I'm in. It's only ninety minutes. You guys are all highbrow. So it was you really are. It was Classy. that's what everyone says about us. It's so funny. I'm drinking fancy red wine. Out of a coffee mug. I'm so, so glad you picked up on that. This movie was dark and gritty and violent, and I loved it. Who's in it? Nobody you know. Perfect. So you will watch something where you don't know anybody that's in it or anybody that that directed it. He watches German shit. Like he watches like. But you'll look up the ratings and what people are saying. Well, I want to make sure it's not a thirty. You like you're a genre guy, so you go after the genre. To me, I have to recognize something or somebody before I take this. Is so this is a big pleasant surprise. I I I was no expectations, but ninety minutes. I was gave it a shot. Good movie. 
All right, Caleb, what do you got for us? All right, well, I thought you were going to share with us the LL and Q-tip uh, clip that you had there. I, I would have. We don't have the screen for me to put. It would have lost all Josh its Josh thinks that this is like a hip-hop podcast that all of our well, listeners I thought are it was. That's why I was scared to come on. I, Every time. I thought it was. So that's oh, you all, all have to rap to get out of here. So you I, all have to have a freestyle. I, wrote a, I did write a diss rap in case didn't, this okay, didn't good. go very well. Good. What um, rhymes with Investopedia? <laughs> uh, oh, I got some good stuff. Um, if you like LL Cool J and Q-tip, then you're going to love this mashup between Biggie and... And I Tribe Call Quest, that is ridiculous. Dude, I watched if this. If you're a fan, then that's ridiculous. We'll, now, we'll include this. We'll include the link to this YouTube please, uh, please in the do. show notes. It's, it's unbelievable for people that like that genre and like those artists, and I like them both. Do you know what I'm doing tonight that I tell you? Uh, going to see, I'm going to see Nas. Oh, my God. In Queens. Oh, how perfect is that? Well, the other thing that I, the, this guy that I'm really into is this guy, Harry Mack. Anybody heard of Harry Mack, yes. the freestyle rapper? You give him any words, and he just creates a freestyle on the spot. This guy is ridiculous. He got me through the pandemic. Best thing I've seen probably in the last year. He used to walk around Venice in California and just walk up to strangers and say, give me three words. They would give him three words, and he would just go off on an amazing rap. But this guy gets on YouTube live and Facebook live, and he raps. And you can tip him, and you can give him the words, type in the words. And if he raps, he creates a freestyle. He, he, he makes like five grand a night just rapping there in his room, and he is incredible. He went viral That's during cool. the, he went viral yeah. during the he's, pandemic. He's a few nuts. Times. on the po- podcast front. I'm addicted to Smartless. I know it's a bunch of guys that look just like me. It's hilarious. Yeah. The one with LeBron James is really funny, and LeBron is very very funny, funnier than I thought he would be. But the one I've two times I've been listening to this podcast. While driving on the highway, I've had to pull over because I'm crying so hard with laughter Who that I'm going to cause an the accident. Hardest, Jason. Uh, I'm a Jason guy. I'm more yeah. of a Jason guy. He's but, so fast. But the, the, so is Will Arnett. They just throw you know shit back and forth at each other. They're, They're hilarious, good. and they get great great guests. They just had Daniel Ricardo on from NASCAR. I mean, from Formula One. Thought it was amazing. Last uh, three things. Three books. <laughs> Last three things. Guys. Last three <laughs> things. No, no, no. You three have to books. understand, Caleb is a cultural, I know, I know. a cultured man. I'm yes, a Renaissance man. I brought you, you Brunello from 2013. Actually, you should be taking notes. I need some culture. Bro. Well, Go ahead. Um, Michael knows about Cebu. This is the Society for Advancing Business and Editing Writing. This is the non. This is the business journalist group that I'm the president of. We do a best book business. Book of the Year Award. You were a judge last year. There are uh, our short list is out, so people can check that out at sebu.org. But three books that are on my shelf, I'm rotating through right now: The Cult of We by my buddy Maureen Fer- uh, Farrell and Elliot Brown about WeWork and the demise there. The I, just, I, would, I would read that. I just you read it. Just, really good. I just started it. It's good. Uh, the Devil's Playbook uh, about Big Tobacco Jewel and the Addiction of a New Generation by Lauren Etter of Bloomberg News and An Ugly Truth Inside Facebook's Battle for Domination by Shira Frenzel and Cecilia I hate King. Facebook. Um, is, there anything new to, it, is there anything new to say about Facebook, honestly? Should I read that book or skip that one? Uh, I would read I'd read the intro and see if you want to go further on it. But we have 10 great books on the short list. I got these three in rotation right now, and okay. they're all really good. Great business journalism in the last year, by the way. Yeah, the best book last year was The Price of Peace by Zachary Carter. Did not win, but that was my vote. That was a very good book. We did uh, choose The Price We Pay, which is uh, about... Ben wrote, ben wrote that, but yeah, I didn't read that one. Which the is healthcare. about how upside down the healthcare system yeah, yeah. is. That's a tremendous debacle, book debacle. by Mar- Dr. Marty uh, Macri. But those anyway. Were, those were some great favorites. Jenny wants to go back to the drawing board because she rolled up with uh, 90 Day Fiance. Yeah, I'm good. What else? And Caleb, Caleb <laughs> rolled up with a list of 10 books. You know, I'm proud of my, I'm proud of my favorite. <laughs> uh, I might want to rethink mine. That's all... Dude, that's... <laughs> That's awesome. We'll check that list out and we'll link to that also. And that pretty much does it for the show. Do you guys feel like we should try it one more time from the top or do you think we got it? No, what, I'd rather what do you guys, do it. 
You want to do? Want to redo the whole thing? Yeah, because I laughed too much and I said Fonsi, which sounded really stupid. When you laugh, though, it's infectious. I Thanks. feel like it's that's probably like one of the best parts of today's episode. <laughs> we need more. We need more laughter. What do you guys, Duncan? What do you think about that? Yeah, more laughter is always good. More laughter always. <laughs> All right. And Caleb, you had fun today? I had a great time, and I was so amped up for this. I did three full sprints around Bryant Park Look and about you. 250 push-ups. Look at you. Uh, I, just, I just wish the monitor you're worked. Sh- you're in good shape right now, by the way. I meant to tell you that. Thank you. So Thank you. I this waited is, till we were on air so everyone would know that. I appreciate that. And, uh, my did trainer, you change anything about your lifestyle? I did. I, I did the, uh, the, the carbs only on Saturday, which I call Fatterday. Um, oh, lots of heavy jump rope and some flowing vinyasa. Uh, just to keep it long and lean, and I feel good. I could kick. I'm 50. I could kick my 25 year old's ass. Look at this. Take his girlfriend and his job. Right. <laughs> He's now. better than this guy. <laughs> All right. Well, listen. We 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 love the fact that you guys came over uh, to do this. The Compound and Friends is all about this. So hopefully you guys will both come back, maybe together, maybe individually. We'll see what happens. But uh, this has been a blast for us. Michael, did you have fun? Tons of fun. Duncan, did you learn anything today? Yeah. Bunch of stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah, I've got to look up Tobin's cue. <laughs> well, no, you don't. Trust me. All right, what do you got? I got some. I have some gifts, some parting gifts. We're that doing I more gifts. Is that okay? Yes. Okay. Gifts are always okay, but just don't feel bad. We don't have He's any like gifts for throwing you. Throwing me under the bus. No, no, no. no, no, no. These anything. are from Jenny and I. Just give me the keys to your car. It'll be <laughs> um, fine. And I took some chances here, but you had Tom on, and Tom brought like Tom a, killed half it. a liquor store and got you guys NFTs and authentic playing cards. <laughs> yeah, well, how's he gonna top so that when I, I invite him back? I took a few shots. <laughs> Um, Bat Nick, I know you. I, Michael, I know you're down with the orange and the Dude, blue. Dude, is that Starks? That's Starks. Oh my oh, God, are you God. kidding me? It's also, the type of thing you, you might you not really buy for him. yourself. I w- Dude, you're the best. Can you do me a favor, but, though? I think he's a kiss ass. Could you? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Could you please wear a t-shirt under that, Caleb? Would you do that? Would you? I'm not no, wearing this wear no t-shirt. t-shirt. Josh, Dude, I had my uh, awesome. daughter wrap these for you, but um, oh my God, I know you're a hip hop head. I don't know if you're a vinyl guy. Oh yeah. But I'm if everything. you have that, then I think these are going to make you happy. I uh, got these. Shout I'm out to the folks at Cinderblock Records in Harlem on 142nd Street. Best record store in Manhattan if you're looking for the real deal. The, I said, I forgot that, give you me live in, that you live in Harlem. Give me Queens. He's give me Long Island. Give really me deep. cultured. Give me deep hip hop. And I walked down oh, the street. Dude, and get people, the out of here. People were going nuts. Where did, Actually, you, find, where did you find this? Cinderblock Records on 142nd You don't know Street what this is, and but Frederick what Douglas. is that? All right. Explain to every, explain to everybody the see, significance of this. Fife and Q-Tip are both on this. Yeah, okay. Let me see the first. Uh, let and me I'll, see that. Do one. you have vinyl? Do you have a, do you have a record player? Yeah. He, he's gonna get one now if he doesn't no, have no, one. No. This is Let Me Be the One. This is the LP version. Uma remix featuring Fife, acapella, and <laughs> Q-Tip on the Silks House remix. This is just deep Queens hip hop. Somebody from- found this in like a basement or an attic somewhere. Right? Because right. there's no way it would have survived no. in this condition. There, I was walking down the street, and this one, Mr. Magic's Rap Attack, yeah, if, this, you, if I mean, you're a Biggie a fan, that's what he's citing, Mr. Wait Magic's Rap Attack. I know that. No, I know that lyric. I know, but read some of the artists yeah, on that. Look who's on, the co- look who's on the cover of this. Look who's part of this. It's compilation. Anyway, my guy at uh, Cinderblock yeah, always has what I'm looking for. This is amazing. Will you come back on next week? I'll come on next week. I'll bring more Bruno. I love that I everybody got you a pair of socks. Oh, thanks. Because you need the Investopedia <laughs> socks. <laughs> 
They're oh, smart. guys, wait. I do have presents for you. No, no, Here, no, no. Josh, take oh, a gee. Simon. And <gasps> Michael, here's a Rubik's Cube can for I you. Can I, can I have a dividend? <laughs> yeah, you can have a dividend. <laughs> I'm not done. Thanks for the socks. <laughs> it's almost Hanukkah, what? but uh, Michael what has one happening? of these. I, I brought some of my own swag because I want Josh to promote it. This Let is the say. Investopedia Express oh, well, hoodie. I'll definitely rock in this. In XL. Too. I know Don. you'll rock it. You're a hoodie guy. This will be on What Are Your Thoughts next week. Can I see the back? That looks pretty awesome. It is awesome. kind of jealous, to be honest. Uh, Jenny used to call me Investopedia Brown. Brown. Like, like Encyclopedia Brown. I showed Brown. him the cover of the book. That is so good. <laughs> that is so good. I think that's a TV show in the making, by the way, Investopedia Brown. I like it. Good. I mean, do you want to collaborate on the rewrite of that series? Duncan? Yes. You need to sock up. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Look at so this. good, sir, over there. <laughs> Look at this. Caleb, you're Caleb, ma- you're man. Swag City. You are you are truly a gentleman. You're Thank a scholar. So much. And a scholar. I, I feel like we need compound socks now. You know, these socks, are really socks awesome. are the greatest giveaway, and I I I appreciate it, and I really appreciate you having me. But I do want to say this from the heart: you all in the Ritholtz family here are among the most generous, kind, giving people in the industry. Yeah, you do a lot of media, you make a lot of noise, but. What you actually do is give voice to a lot of people, not just me, obviously, and, and Jenny and, and your friends, but think of all the people you've helped. And what you're really all about is celebrating other people who are oh, wow. trying to educate, trying to help people, trying to get through. Thank Look you very at much. This. Yeah. Look at true. This. And it's, I want to say ditto. Right? Look at These this. are good people. <laughs> These are good people who all they want to do is help people and help other people get their voices out there. So I, mean, I appreciate you guys. You are guys. so smooth, thank Caleb. Guys, oh, thank, thank you, you so the much. Hair, the hair? I'm so impressed. Are you kidding me? <laughs> all right, let me wrap this up so we can kill this wine. Guys, thank you so much for listening. And remember, if you want to watch clips of the show, you're going to youtube.com slash the compound RWM for the latest in financial blogger fashion. Check out the official compound store, I don't shop.com. Duncan, take us out of here. This is like. It really is like Hanukkah. Jenny, did you have fun? I had the best time. I've been getting thrown under the bus by the Hanukkah.